Welcome to Tom and Jack having the crack and a reverent look at the week's politics and news. So uh, <laughs> this, this, this Ukraine thing's not going away. No, it'll go on for it'll go on for years, will it? Yeah, the ramifications of it, you yeah. would think. But the war could go on for yeah, I mean, three years. The Iraq war went on. It was ten years, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it depends when you when you define an end, doesn't it? Because, mm. like, I think you said last week that when you're dealing with a small force, an, an ideology, a dedicated people. You know, when does that end for them? When does that end? Have you seen too where the the, the president he's, he's on social media, he's on all the social mm-hmm. media, and he's he's saying to people, um, if you want to go and fight in the Ukraine, yeah, just get in a train, come along, yeah, bring a gun, yeah. Um, it's, kind, a gun. It's, <laughs> it's kind of interesting though because I remember like reading about the Spanish Civil War. People, That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, people from all over the world went and fought in that. George Orwell, Hemingway went. Yeah, yeah Hemingway went. So, so there's a little element to that to it. Um, and the, the other thing I was reading that's unbelievable is he has loads of people helping him with geolocating. Have you heard about this? Now go on. Do you know what geolocating yeah. is? So yeah, they, yeah. The people. So basically, the everybody is tracking all the tanks, all the soldiers, all mm-hmm. the Russian military are being tracked online, and the information has been fed back to the president by you know an ad hoc group of people who are just computer mm. literate, I suppose. Well, you hear about the kid, the guy who was tracking Elon Musk's... Yeah, yeah, job. yeah. He's now tracking Russian oligarchs as they move... Around the world. Across the world. And what, you can sort of see it on Twitter, them sort of fleeing, like just like a red uh, arrow, just leaving, oh, wow. leaving Russia and going to Europe and the United Arab Emirates and America. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting aspect of this whole conflict because I think social media... During, during, like, during the Arab Spring, yeah. it was like Twitter is facilitating this, Facebook is facilitating this. And now we're at a point with social media where it's actually quite state-governed. Mm. So it's actually been used as a misinformation tool, like in in Russia, definitely. And it's interesting that Zelensky's finding a a role for it to use it, yeah, yeah. in the other way. And I think uh, Putin has banned Facebook and Twitter now in in Russia. So yep. he he it's turning on him. He he was he thought he had control of those mm-hmm. things, and now they're turning on him. But I love this idea that people all around, like that guy in America, you know, people from all over the world are helping. Yeah, in this sort of way, you know, it's it's a, it's an interesting thing because on the one hand, it feels like obviously it's a very serious situation, and you're seeing some of you know hospitals being bombed now, and schools, and it's, you know w- actual war crimes have been documented and commit, which is another interesting thing. Is like you know a hundred thousand smartphones pointed at a war crime, so it's like do you want, do you want some evidence? Yeah, <laughs> we've got some evidence. Yeah, well, well, the weird thing I th- I think this is kind of strange. Like th- there'll be more evidence, mm. but more cameras, but it almost seems like. Okay, even when you watch the news mm. and you see war on it, it doesn't seem as real as if you were there. Cool. Now, I've never been there, but yeah. obviously it doesn't seem. But I think it seems even less real. It does. Through social media. I completely agree. And I think Zelensky's done some amazing things in terms of galvanizing support. And I'm sure he's optimistically got one eye on what happens after this and how Ukraine has a role in the international community and joining NATO, et cetera, et cetera. And he's doing a brilliant job of it. But it does make it seem more cartoony. Yeah, 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 more sort of virtual world rather than real world. Yeah, like him giving, I mean, that quote obviously has been around the world of like, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. But it seems like something, that's like something Steven, uh, Steven Seagal would say in a film about a war. Yeah. It's not. Well, I suppose he's probably, it's scripted to a degree, isn't it? He's probably writing. That, that's been the, that's, that's been something that's come out um, quite a lot, is that because he's got an act, and he's not just got a comedy background, he's got an acting background, a writing background. And apparently it's a very conscious thing. 
That it, oh, yeah, oh, I'd well believe that, yeah, 100%. But all, all politics like that. It's kind of funny now, it's, I suppose, one way of thinking it. If we had social media and stuff in previous wars, mm. like particularly World War II, like there would have been loads of memes and, you know, little videos like remixes yeah. of Churchill saying. Yeah. Is a meme like a French meme? Bonjour, je m'appelle meme. Comment ça va? I revealed how, how, how rarely I use that word there, haven't I? That's the yeah. first time I've ever said yeah. it. I'm trying, oh, I'm trying to pretend I know yeah, stuff for, like this. For anyone who's not aware, me and Jack are 102. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the truth. Is yeah, I mean, it is, it's interesting because um, it's, it's one way of looking at it is it's downplaying how serious it is. Another way of looking at it is it's actually helping to galvanize global support, which ultimately is the goal. In oh, helping for, for the Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like Russia have got even support within their own country no, no, anymore. No, they, well, they're lying, to the, they're lying to the people in their country. I read a great article during the week where... Um, uh, in the New Yorker, and I was kind of basically saying the people, a lot of people in Russia didn't even know it was happening. Yes, they're not being told it's happening. Like it's a, it's completely illegal to to broadcast anything of it. Mm. And and a reporter was in Moscow in in the city center, and people were just going about their business, quite oblivious to yeah. what was going on. There was an interview with a banker that I think's gone in a few places. It might have been in that New Yorker article, but I read it somewhere else that they were doing like an earnings report or something, and someone interrupted the, the you know the annual report to be like, oh, we've just gone to war. And these yeah. big financial institutions that you think would have some connection into government and have some awareness of what was going on normally, they was like, the fuck? Well, they're saying the soldiers didn't even know they were going to be going to war. A lot of them told to be on training exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, it's just, it's it's bizarre. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very tricky game of chess, like, because on the one hand, you have everybody calling for intervention, mm. and, you know, should America and Europe and everybody intervene but like intervention just escalates it yeah and did you, did you see biden state of the union no it was i, re I read bits of it i mean on. he didn't he just he just uh he pulled a, a decent pr move i think so he was, the, he was the second president i think since reagan to bring a foreign dignitary to the state of the union and it was the ukrainian ambassador and he obviously got a standing ovation and you know everyone's like well you're very brave but he didn't make any commitments of any kind yeah, about what America was going to do, and he just actually <laughs> pulled a big Biden gaffe. He was he was saying how brave the Iranian people are. The Iranian, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably true. Yeah, yeah the Iranian is, people are very brave. Yeah, just not just not in a global conflict this minute. Yeah, um, or at least not one that the, the news coverage is willing to give any airtime to. Um, but it was it was hilarious because he was obviously trying to have this you know soundbitey moment for himself, and then just Biden it up. Biden it up by doing that. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see if um, many non-Ukrainians would go over and fight. It would be, wouldn't it? Because that would be in this era of virtue signaling where mm. Gal Gadot's recording Imagine and it's very trendy for a celebrity to do a black and white like, dear Mr. Putin. Like, why are you putting your money where your mouth is? You know, if you, want a, if you, want, if you really want a virtue signal that hard, pick up a Kalashnikov. And head over. Yeah, because like you say, there were public figures in bygone eras who did exactly well exactly that Hemingway and Orwell they both fought in the Spanish Civil War didn't they yeah, yeah. Did. Hemingway, Hemingway wrote the book yeah, for whom the, the bulls bell tolls yeah. yeah and then um, George oh, I can't remember the book George Orwell wrote coming out of the back of it but yeah but they were both I mean George Orwell got famously because it's God, what book is it in because he, write, he writes really beautifully about getting shot in the neck oh. and how it basically grazed his aorta 
and he writes about fainting and sort of fading out of the world and coming back in and fading out and in that moment realizing that it could all be over but at least it was for something meaningful and that was a good way of a good way of going it's hard to imagine like Justin Bieber doing that. Just who would who would write who'd be a writer? J.K. Rowling. No. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you know what? I, I reckon J.K. Rowling would be pretty handy in a fight. She'd be going over and fighting. Um, she's she's put up with the amount of abuse she's had on the internet for the last two years. I reckon she I reckon she'd be alright. She'd be. I wouldn't know what to do. Falling over. Yeah. Do you, do you ever think you you think about that? Like what you if you were forced into military service? Yeah. For Ireland, you know, you were, you had to be there. Do you ever think about like would I be any good? Would I be well? What the what the Irish guys did in in the Irish War of Independence and the Irish Civil War and the rising ambushes? That's what yeah. Irish people did. So that's what my relatives did. <laughs> they you just you hide, <laughs> you hide, <laughs> you hide, and when the trucks go by, you you ambush them. Yeah, and that was yeah, and that I think I could do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm small, <laughs> kind of nippy, nippy. Nimble. You know what I mean? <laughs> Can fit in like, crevices. <laughs> you wouldn't see me. Yeah. Um, their big issue, though, too, I suppose, kind of similar to now, is they they didn't have enough weapons. Yeah, that was a big big problem to have. But uh, yeah, I, I I had a good few friends who who fought in um, Iraq and Afghanistan, and they said, now I don't know if this this actually the way things are now in Ukraine would be very different to how they were in Iraq Afghanistan at the start but they basically said there was an awful lot of hanging around yeah, not a lot happening and then suddenly something would happen but no one would have a clue what was actually happening while it mm. was happening and it would just be pure confusion interesting yeah yeah because there was a lot of those um, you, you, how do you say it? UIDs or? yeah I, yeah because I always get confused with the IUD. Uh, what, have I said that right? <laughs> I probably. Uh, they, like where people just blow themselves yeah. up and, and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what angle the, the guerrilla warfare takes yeah. in this. Yeah, and, and if and if it pushes there, because I guess the big thing everyone's wondering at the moment is, will the international community step in first to prevent it becoming this like, you know, ground war, guerrilla war? Or will they let? Or will they just keep supplying Ukraine and then let Ukraine fight it out? And they just keep selling weapons. That's what they do everywhere else. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what they just keep selling the weapons. Uh, the nuclear power plant is an interesting yeah twist. It was. You know uh, that that's the only thing I could see where intervention would might have to. Am happen. I am I an idiot? Or did you before you saw that? Did you know that you could bomb a nuclear power plant and it didn't just blow up? Um, well, it depends on where you, you you bomb because I'd imagine the nuclear material is like hidden. You know, it's not in a reservoir on the roof. <laughs> it's in your living room. Keep it out for best. No, no, but like it, it'll be protected. And there, you know, there's not a lot of nuclear material in these places. Yeah. Because you you only need small amounts, but it's it it's usually this is a nice way of you saying yes, I am an idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Did you ever watch the t- Chernobyl? The yeah, oh, it was the, fantastic, yeah, yeah, wasn't it? Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, I suppose it, it'd be buried under concrete. It's not what they do to bury it. Yeah, and then you wonder like, what was his? Is that just because I'm always looking for where's the 3D chess move on Russia's part here? Yeah, you know, what, don't underestimate them playing a long game. And I was thinking like, what's the actual benefit of Firing a rocket into a nuclear power plant and it not causing massive, you know, huge devastation. What are you, what are you, what are you trying to illustrate? Yeah, but it, like, 
you you don't know whether he okay did he have any say in that actual shooting of the rocket mm. did they know what they were shooting at do you know what I mean like wars there's a lot of you know friendly fire and different things like this like you know everybody mm. who goes to war ends up blowing up something they didn't mean to blow up like yeah you know I'm, I could be wrong but like I'm sure the British and the Americans didn't intend to blow up <laughs> schools and hospitals but they do you know <laughs> everyone does but they do, but they do <laughs> like do. everyone ends up doing that and I don't think they may. Um one of the things very interesting too is just the, the, the difference the way things are reported you know mm -hmm. because particularly I always think that like the, it's very interesting the difference between this and the Iraq war because when, when it's a non-Western leader doing anything mm. they're always kind of branded as been a bit mentally unstable. Despotic. They've lost the plot, you know, but no one was like, you know, when, you know, Bush was like, mission accomplished, no one was like, oh, he's lost the plot, he's become, he surrounded himself by yes men, he's mm -hmm. out of touch. You know, no one was saying that Blair had a messiah, messianic mm -hmm. complex, you know what I mean? It's quite interesting how we, we brand these people differently. Oh, know? yeah. That's, I mean, a great example, because, you know, Zelensky, I'm not, I'm not saying you should look at him this way, but if yeah. it, if this was the Iraq War or an Iranian conflict or somewhere, you know, of the countries when we were younger, there's an argument you might say he Zelensky's using his people as a shield. He's being irresponsible. He's asking them to die for a cause. You know, he hasn't. You know, there's other there's other ways of interpreting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he because because they're not. A, he he's asking non-army people to to fight. Yeah, it's kind of like one time. Um, there was a debate about anti-social behaviour in Britain and I think it was Boris before he was Prime Minister said if you see it to intervene and then some the police came out and said don't yes. <laughs> you know what I mean ring us yeah. don't be getting involved you'll get hurt <laughs> do, do you remember I think whatever when he was Mayor of London he definitely is, is something about on the tubes if you see yeah. any issues on the tube and a police spokesman came God, out that is such that is the ultimate Boris Johnson comment the, oh yeah yeah because it's like this Etonian private school view of the world where no, let's have a really good dust up and then shake hands and walk away. Yeah. You know? Stop the bigger boys bullying the younger boys and get a blowjob out of it. And, you know, <laughs> it's good. Uh, well, one of the bigger boys has got a knife. Uh, or, a, or a gun. Or a gun. But um, yeah, so the police came out and said, yeah, so I, I see what you mean there. Yeah. Um, I heard too that it's coming out now that he was involved with the, well, it probably already came out, but it's mm. resurfacing again that he was involved in the Panaman. Panama Papers. Zelensky? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mate, this is the other interesting thing. Is he, He's getting lionized. And I thought, this is, from a comedian perspective, it was like, has anyone checked his tweets? Yeah. <laughs> has anyone, <laughs> like, what was, you know, And but the Panama Papers obviously is a much more serious version of that. But, yeah, what is the background on this guy that the people who are so keen to lionize him, you know, the things they wouldn't like about his past? Well, I think one of the, the reasons why um, powerful men like war Mm. is I think war makes people look good who mightn't be that good. Like, mm -hmm. it's kind of... Do you ever hear the old Picasso one? Um, Picasso didn't leave France mm -hmm. during World War Two, but he could have because he was rich, and a lot of rich people did. And afterwards, he became a bit of a national hero in France, mm. and he became a bit of a symbol of French resistance. Now, Picasso was like... Um, Jesus, would Picasso survive me too? Do you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't want to be saying too many yeah. bad things about Picasso. Yeah. But like he 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 was sleeping with an awful lot of prostitutes. Like mm -hmm. that's on you know he was he was chasing women the whole time, and he, he had this quote that was great when he he was kind of how did he feel about being a bit of a national hero? Mm. And he 
He sort of said, you know, he, he felt a bit strange by it because he never really saw himself as that type of person. And he, he said that during the war, he said it wasn't that he was behaving particularly well. Yeah. It was just that others were behaving particularly exactly. worse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he basically said, like, I'm not a good guy. Yeah. It's just like there was a lot of bad, worse people. And, and you know, I think there, there's an element of, um, you know, like war can make a lot of people who aren't that good yeah. look good yeah you just don't commit an atrocity just yeah yeah, like... yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the bar gets a bit lower during wartime do you yeah. know what I mean yeah exactly yeah I think that's that's an interesting especially if you create a narrative around it if you create a narrative around like the goalposts are just not to commit a war crime yeah and that's the parameters of goodness and then you get to win within those parameters you've created for yourself never mind that you've ruined your economy never mind that you drafted in civil. and I'm not saying I'm not saying you shouldn't draft civilian soldiers, I'm not saying you shouldn't worry about the economy later, but there are wider parameters for success you could look at if you, if you chose to. But if you narrow the goalposts, it's a lot easier to be a good a good dude. Yeah, it's, it'll be, you're, you're right though, it will be a tricky one because like, it, it's very easy to get swept up in the rom- romanticism and everything of the fighting and the whole lot. Yeah. You see like Mike uh, Tyson Fury saying that, you know, if it was England, he'd definitely be here. But there'll be a lot of uh, families who'd be absolutely devastated that they had a son who decided they're going to go off and fight. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, um, it's a great book. Uh called The Plot Against America. Have you ever right. read that book? I've heard of it. I've never read it. Um, I'm trying to think what the guy's name is. But it, it, the, the book is basically, the idea of the book is that Germany wins World War Two. Right. Right. But in the book, there's a guy, There's a, one of the characters to follow in the book is Canadian who moves from Canada to America to be drafted into the army to go fight the Germans. And he goes over, um, he's over there a week, gets shot in the leg, comes back paralyzed for life. And he's, mm. he, you know, he's, the re- for the rest of the book, like he's dressing his wounds every day and everything. And he's, you know, he's 17 or 18. Mm. And it's just, it just shows you like the, tra- you know, the tragedy of yeah. that, getting caught up in, in, you know, wanting to fight evil and do that good thing. And then, you know, life destroyed. I mean, I remember, my, I don't know if you had any family fought in World War Two, but my, my granddad's, was just a lad from Leeds, and they all got drafted or conscripted. He picked the Navy because he was one of these guys in British, you know, cult society where he was very smart, but he was working class, so he wasn't ever going to go anywhere with his intellect. Yeah. So he, he was like, the Navy's got the best survival rate. Is, is that true? Yeah. It did well during World War Two. At that time, the Navy had the best survival rate. So he's like, I'm going to go in the Navy because that's got the best survival rate. Survival rate, right? That's clever. And then he was an engineer, so he did pretty well. And obviously, you know, people die left and right, so you get promoted and stuff. And he ended up being a chief petty, petty officer, battlefield promotion. And he got awarded the Navy equivalent of the Victoria Cross for bravery because he took a German U-boat with like three other guys. Him and three other guys took a German U-boat. A pretty brave thing to do. Yeah. And he came back home and. The people who stay behind, they got promoted in the in the factories and in the offices and stuff. So he ended up working for a guy who was four years younger than him who stayed behind, didn't go fight in the war. And when he was towards the end of his life, he was like telling me on his deathbed, basically, you can't, I can't tell you how devastating that is to go risk your life. And even if you, even if you survive, come back and be like, there's nothing for me. There's no real welcome. There's no real thank you, there's no real progression in society, just even the ones who survive, life goes on beyond war and you don't really get thanked for it. It doesn't really factor into the rest of your life. Yeah, you're being used a little bit, to be fair. 
Yeah. They're, you, you, you are being used to listen. So, to so what you're saying about getting swept up in the romanticism. Yeah. There's always obviously things like that story where there's a very real thing of death, paralysis, wounding, all that stuff. And But then even for the ones who make it back, five years after the war, ten years after the war, are you going to have the position in society you think you should have? Or is the person who didn't fight going to be... Yeah, and then, there, well, obviously there's the post-traumatic stress disorder too. Um, oh, yeah. The, the Falklands War was the one where more people committed suicide afterwards than died. In really? Yeah, right. yeah, the Falklands War. Um but yeah, there's also this thing too, you, you hear soldiers say, and I'm always, they, they, you'd often hear them say, you know, if I can do this, yeah. once I go back to Civvy Street, is not what they call it, they say, once I go back to Civvy Street, I'll be able to do anything. And it's like, well, it's not really true because you're learning a completely different set of skills yeah. and a different w- way of behavior. And do you know what I think interesting is that probably once upon a time that was very true because hierarchies in society were probably more militarized yeah 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 whereas now they're probably at i don't know maybe more than any point in the last 200 years whatever maybe in human history the divergence of what is valuable in the military compared to what is valuable in civvy street you have to think about like traditional traits of masculinity following orders um unquestioning um allegiance to a hierarchy they don't seem to be very valuable traits no i think the biggest Emotional intelligence and social skills are nearly the biggest mm-hmm. two to, to do well in, in our society. They're two of the biggest. Now, I don't really know about um, maybe in the city and banking and that. It might be a little bit more. You know, I've been reading a few books about that. <laughs> and, and that seems to be still a bit more, yeah. you know, if you've got a bit of an alpha male personality and adventure yeah. and, and that. But in a lot of other companies, it's it's it's. Yeah. You can't be going around like that. No, not at all. And then also the entrepreneurial aspect. I think today, entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial mindset, even if you work within a company, an entrepreneurial mindset is rewarded a lot more than just following orders. Orders. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's changed. Ah, what, like, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. Like, you see. You, you really see now, you know, because it's the, the, the big enemy and everything, how mm. everyone is, is quite into it. Like, But it, when when it gets removed, when you're removed from it, you, you wouldn't be into it. Like, No. No, and it's actually interesting you mentioned the big enemy there. Other interesting thing that happened in the State of the Union, um, no one wore a mask. Right. So no mask indoors, and Biden was talking about moving on. With the economy, yeah. Yeah, and moving on from COVID. And it's been interesting with the Russia-Ukraine conflict that that has taken up people's headspace it does it does feel like people are more willing to put covid on the back burner and it, I, I just find it interesting that it's so it just seems re- so relatively easy just to supplant one you know one story with another and people's fear and emotional fury about one thing can just get translated Moved, to something yeah, else yeah, so yeah. quickly yeah because we've li- i think we've limited emotional capacity you can mm-hmm. only be, you know, it's, it's hard to be in love with 10 people at the one time. Do you know what I mean? You can only be angry, but do you know yeah. what I mean? It's hard to... You should go to some of the parties I go to. <laughs> it's hard to spread <laughs> your kind of thing. Um, tell you what's funny, though. Someone said to me the other day that, you know, oh, you know, we've just come out of a pandemic and now we're going to go into World War Three. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. But, like, World War Three wouldn't be as bad as the pandemic because the pubs would stay <laughs> open. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. At least you'd get out of the house, you know. Hundred um, percent. But uh, 
Ah, uh, yeah, it's 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 very it's it's so like it's very much the old world coming back again, isn't it? The, the fight. What do you think of the sanctions? One of the things I find with the sanctions mm. is like, why weren't they doing that anyway? Yeah, like, well, I mean, why why were they allowed? You know, oh, this all this corrupt money, you know, blah blah blah. We're gonna stop it. We should have. There should have been. We should yeah. have been taking it in the first place. Well, again, I think it's quite similar to the pandemic. It's about political expediency and yeah. convenience. So your parameters for what is acceptable are framed by the story you want to tell the public. Yeah. So when there was no pressure, it's like we'll do as many deals as we want with Gazprom. That's fine. Oligarch money, propping up businesses, propping up venture capital firms. That's fine. Until there's a political narrative that is. Um, against that, which is you shouldn't be supporting Russia, it's you know it's very similar to cancel culture in in a way that like like you said, all these companies were very happy to trade with Russia until they did something really horrific. I was, I've, I've I've been reading a book about it and Gazprom is in it about mm. um, the Hermitage Fund. It's like a hedge fund mm. that invested in Russia and they had shares in Gazprom. Um, I think it's kind of nineteen nineties, early two thousand, and Gazprom kept selling off oil and gas fields mm. very underpriced to family members. <laughs> there was a lot of this going on and like the levels of corruption in those yeah. companies. And like you say, we've been fine with that for whatever. Up, up yeah. until now. Yeah, been pretty much since, I mean, you could argue since uh, the, I guess the Yalta stuff, but probably since Putin came into power and, you know, forged more economic ties with the West, ironically. Yeah, we've, we've been fine with it. It's been propping, propping up property prices around the world propping up businesses and then all of a sudden just because the story changes we have to change yeah yeah it's the power of stories it's very interesting and it'd be like will it happen with china now too where there'll be it'll have to happen too with china because this the, the part of the reason he was able to play this hand was because of the economic interconnections yeah yeah because if i mean taking away their trading with europe i mean there's, there's some reports estimating that inflation could go up to 78 percent in russia yeah. Which would be like what happened after the um, revol you know, revolution, like 1911, 1912 sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think the alliance with China will be really tested because it's like how ideologically bound up are we? And does Putin see them, see them as ideologically bound up or does he just see himself as so powerful and independent that, you know, does, does he think he needs China's backing globally? I mean, objectively he does, but does yeah. he think he does? So the, you've read, the Russian people then are in for a rough ride too, are they? Oh, for sure. I mean... The oligarchs pouring their money out of Russia, I think, is uh, a real bellwether because without resources, he can't, you know, he's got very limited options for what he can do because he can't ride out sanctions. He can't, um, you know, inter just just close the, you know, circle the wagons and try and ride it out. He hasn't got any money to do it with or backing to do it with. And then you, and then you wonder how long the Russian people are willing to put up with because the, the prospect of a palace coup, I think, is becoming... More and more. More real, more and yeah. More, yeah. And that's what they're hoping to achieve with it. And Abramovich getting rid of Chelsea. That's the big news. <laughs> that's the big news. That was amazing. Like, it's amazing how quick that happened, isn't it? Yeah. To the point where you wonder if it had been on his mind for a while. Because it was almost instantaneous, wasn't it? It was in like, in like a week of the conflict starting. He was like, I'm going to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. He, he, well, he clearly thought he was in trouble. Mm. So whoever's advising him, I, I'm, I'm sure he probably knows more than we know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He probably, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but he, he, 
he, he might he may well have a spy in the cabinet. I don't want to be I don't want to be spreading rumors or yeah. conspiracy theories. But like there may be someone in the Tory cabinet who's like uh, you know blah 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 blah, yeah. and then someone's paying someone to tell that, and he's like hearing all that back. So. I, I mean that feels more likely than not, doesn't it? Because it's if there's going to be a coordinated wave because it's happening in America as well. It's going to be a coordinated wave of going after Russian assets overseas. Yeah, you'd think because British politicians, American politicians, gym politicians, French politicians, they want that headline, but they don't really want to fuck off the business people who are bringing loads of money into the country. So you would think the best path for any government would be like, we're going to seize all these assets. You might want to crystallize them. Get, get, yeah, get it, that, it, that's really probably, I suppose, that's the best case scenario for everybody because then the it helps your narrative because he's he's left. Yeah. So it's yeah, you're yeah. no longer be pushing. But you didn't actually have to do anything. So yeah. And and I suppose doing something can get messy. Um, how how much of a hit do you think it would affect everyone's cost of living? I suppose there's no way to tell this. If we did cut all of this blood money out of our economy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the knock-on effect, isn't it? Because it's like, so the housing prices in, let's, t- let's take a controllable aspect of it, like the housing prices in London, yeah, for example. So if you own property in London, the oligarch money coming out of London would have a pretty real impact, I think. Crash the market. Yeah. Which, if that's the thing you're using to set up retirement, or if that's the thing you're using to um, you know, help uh, facilitate things like paying school fees, et cetera, you know, that's a big part of your financial holdings. That's going to have a very, very real impact on you. Because the, I guess the flip side would be people would say, well, it, it helps other people buy in. Yeah. But those other people have to have money to buy in. With. Yeah. So if the property market collapsed, then everybody would realize that actually wages hadn't gone up in 15 years and that the only reason yeah. anyone had been getting richer was because of their house yes. inf- uh, inflating. And also, even if you don't own a property in London, your pension is bound up in properties. Properties. Yeah, yeah. So that's another very real. And you go draw your pension down, and you're like, whoops, that's 20% wiped off that. Yeah, it could be a good time um, to announce the retirement age is 70 now. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would notice. <laughs> Slip it in. Just slip it under the like. Yeah. Probably uh, war in Ukraine, new COVID variant. By the way, you have to work till you're 95. <laughs> have a good Friday. <laughs> this has been Radio Boris. Oh, that Putin. That Putin is something else. Yeah, know. he's causing your retirement age to go up. To go up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you heard the thing with Trump. Yeah, go on. So, um, I, I heard that Trump, you know, you don't, he's not on the media as much anymore, but I yeah. heard he gave a speech and he mused. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he mused uh, that America could send planes over, uh, attack the Russians, but have Chinese flags on the plane <laughs> to convince the Russians that it was the Chinese attacking them. And then Russia and China would go to war and they would take each other out, you know? Um, Obviously, we know he has a bit of a WWF background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much an Undertaker move. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, was going to say more, uh, more, more uh, Triple H, potentially, but yes. Yeah. It's very much a WWF move, yeah. you know what I mean? And then while they're fighting, Trump will come and bind them and hit them with a chair. chair. You know I mean? And then you get thrown out of the cage and you get thrown out of the cage and Vince McMahon's just standing in Red Square like this. Do you know what's funny, though, is because things like that have happened in wars before. Okay. It's like o- Operation Mincemeat. I think there was a movie out of it. And that was a huge coordinated wave of 
misinformation where the British government got a German soldier's body yeah, couldn't be decomposed too long and had to be like injured in the right ways with the right ammunition from the right battlefield and they stuffed a bunch of um, fake allied plans in his pockets okay yeah yeah and then they had to wait for the tides to be in the right place at the right time for him to be washed up at a point in northern Africa and it was basically a fake a fake plan that the allied army would invade through Africa and go up into Europe through Italy yeah and it worked. It got the um, Rommel to divert just enough forces to southern Italy to open up a bit more of the area around northern Europe, which is where they ultimately ended up in, invading through. But that is that on paper sounds crazy. It's basically a drama production. Like that's like write fake, you know, uh, documents and uh, give this guy like a fake name and a fake, you know, the whole thing is like a drama, like a theater production, which apparently played quite a big role in winning World War Two. Yeah, well, it, it's a kind of misinformation. There are, there's always things called leaks as well. It's where mm. you, you know that someone's a spy, but rather than confront them, yep. you purposely feed them misinformation so that they start passing it back as real information. Yeah, yeah. The, the Trump plane thing is, is interesting, though. I like the idea that he... He clearly thinks everyone is as gullible as he would like them to be. Oh, to he be. thinks people are completely stupid. Like yeah. Yeah, I guess he's got away with it because I guess at every turn in his life, he's pulled off things like that. Yeah, he's just, yeah, 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 because he's never told the truth and he, and he has, it has worked for me. He yeah. has, he has completely gotten away, for, gotten away with it. Um, yeah, like in some ways, America would get away with it. They would. Because, but. Because if they even if the guy implemented, they are the bigger, um, they are the bigger army. Have you seen this one? The the, the how much money they spend per year on the military in America? Mm. No, I, no. Go on. So I I think I was reading that in the last year, Russia has spent sixty five billion. Mm -hmm. NATO countries excluding America two hundred billion, mm -hmm. and America seven hundred. Perfect. So like it's you you know America NATO against Russia is foregone yeah yeah it's a complete but the collateral damage would be yeah unbelievable yeah and America never really want I mean the whole thing after World War Two is they never really want to have to have to do that unleash yeah, the yeah. power of it's like it's like Roosevelt, it's a walk soft and carry a big stick global policy yeah you, know, you, you want to know we could but you never really want to have to use it yeah 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 it's too powerful to use like the one thing though if it did if it did happen Wages would go up and house prices would go down mm -hmm. because like there'd be an awful lot of less people mm -hmm. living in the world. Like Jesus Christ. Maybe maybe Greta Thunberg's like pulling for it. Maybe Greta Thunberg's like sort out could, could help with climate, climate change. Right. Yeah, too, yeah. You get you get rid of a few nuclear mushroom clouds and then you know a few million less people. Great, Greta would be thrilled. Yeah, and I suppose that's another thing we're keep, kind of keeping the eye of a ball with, with that too. My brother's telling me there's really bad flooding in Australia yeah. now as well. They had more rain in a week in Brisbane than we have in London in the whole year. Is that what they had? It's yeah. like 7,000 millimetres of rain in Brisbane in a week and we get 6,000 millimetres annually. And I think it was something like 10 years ago they had the same flooding and they were told it was once in 100 years and mm -hmm. now 10 years later it's, it's happened again. Mm -hmm. um, amazingly, Australia politics is amazing in that they're quite anti-climate, um, doing anything about climate change. Interesting. Which I know that. Yeah, it's very... Because of, of mining. Of, yeah, yeah. They've, they've, they've completely linked any kind of action 
on on tackling climate change to loss of jobs. Yeah. Completely. Which is kind of what America did for a long time as well with the oil and gas industries. Yeah. Well, I the, the have you you haven't read Coakland, have you, Charlie Coke? No. Oh man, he he almost single handedly helped held back climate change. Mm. He the book is just he's a he's a phenomenal person, but. Didn't he help come up with the language of climate change? Because oh. previously, wasn't it called global warming and that was seen as more scary? And then they did, I'm pretty sure it was a, re, a, a Republican marketing strategist I, that probably could have been funded by him, um, came up with the word climate change. Probably. Like, he, he funded so much and, and he, he, he was so well organized. Like, he did things where, you know, um, he went around the country looking at you know you elect judges yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like that in America like they given money to the judges that would be more likely analysing judges decisions mm. and working out which judges were more likely to favour the oil industry and, and giving them money and the other thing he was he was doing too is, is amazing um, that he got away with it like he he's skimming all the time so when in you know you say you have an oil field and I buy oil off you yeah I'm supposed to send my truck, pull the oil out, and I'm going to tell you how much I've taken out. Yeah. And then I pay you. So I took out 100. He had all his workers trained to take more than they said they took. And it adds up over time. Oh, millions. Jesus. Millions. Constant, constant skimming. And that, that, that was when he started off. Like, he, he was at all... It's, a, it's an incredible book to read. Like, he, he did a lot of hostile takeovers of companies. Yeah. And, yeah, I knew that about him. And the people he took over said that after talking to him, 50, they had a 15-minute meeting with him, mm. and they came out, they'd be furious with him, like, oh, he's trying to do this, trying mm. to do that, to go talk to him. And then they'd say after 15 minutes talking to him, they left the room knowing one thing for certain, they wanted to work for Yes! Him. And you're like, this guy's charisma. It's Isn't that amazing how that is like a the single defining factor, it seems like anyway, in people who from the outside seem like horrific people who get away with shit. Whether it's the Koch brothers, Trump, Putin, Harvey Weinstein, everyone's got a version of that story, where like, yeah, but you weren't around them. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You didn't, you didn't know them. Like, you didn't feel what it was like to be in their presence. Well, that, the, the, the Harvey Weinstein, because the people who worked for him said he was very exciting to work for, mm -hmm. because he he just got things done, mm -hmm. like, and and made things happen that just didn't seem possible. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, say what you will about Harvey Weinstein, he delivers on his promises. <laughs> I, I guess it I guess it all comes down to at heart, I think I said it before, like everyone has this thing in them where they want to win, they want success. Mm. And and I think you know, if someone creates a wave that you get to surf mm. that creates a degree of personal success for you, yep. it then becomes harder to not it becomes harder to see the bad things happening. It becomes easier to, to, to look away. 100%. And pretend you don't see the things that are happening. I mean, like, we've both done corporate jobs. Everything's on a spectrum, right? But we've probably all been around things that, not saying, like, morally wrong things, but things that were like, oh, I don't know, should we, should we be asking people to work that long hours? Should we be putting the client under that much pressure? Should we be paying someone this wage? For, you know, we've all been around these decisions hmm. that, like you say, ultimately lead to personal success. But... At the time, you don't question them as much. You, you can, it's amazing how quickly you can rationalize away a, a poor decision. A poor decision. And, and there must, there'll be people in Russia who became rich because of Putin. Yeah. When, and they'll, they'll, be, they'll think he's a great guy. 
great guy. I can't believe all the bad things they're saying about him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, <laughs> and by all accounts, his circle's getting smaller and smaller. So it's just those people around him left. Did you see him with the the pilots? No. Oh, jeez. He had a press conference where he's at a dinner mm. with all these women pilots for Aeroflot, mm-hmm. and they're all a bit worried because um, Russia has been banned from so much airspace. But he, it's a very weird sort of image photo op, I suppose. Yeah. It's just him with a load of good-looking women having yeah. having a lunch. But he's given a quite a serious um, kind of speech, mm. you know. Yeah, it, that that again, I think that's that's the kind of thing that it's like bunker mentality. So everyone in this room agrees. So I'm just gonna. No, I just, there's nothing weird here. Nothing incongruent about this image. I've just got these wonderful Russian workers. Yeah. And I'm, the, and I'm a wonderful Russian premier and everything's fine. There's a song about him. Have you ever seen that? No. Nah. Pop song. That it's two very good looking Russian women and the kind of song is, I need to find a man like Putin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, it's sort of like, it's a catchy little number like. <laughs> And it's about, you know, I need to find a man like Putin, you know, he won't, he's not a drunk, he'll look after <laughs> you, he won't hurt you. <laughs> can take on a grizzly bear yeah. with his manly chest hair. Need to find a man like Putin, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you reckon other, other world leaders get annoyed by that? Like, do you reckon, nah, like, do you think Biden's like, no one's ever written a song about me? <laughs> no. No, I Should I think it's like late, like late up at night thinking, I wish, I wish a pop star would write a ditty. But has any has there been songs about anyone? I mean, Barack Obama got name checked in a lot. Oh well, it, the, oh, there's there's a dance track about for a Barack Obama. I love it. Like I listen to it running. Right. Right. It's called um, Hope Remix. Mm. I think they're a German techno. No, no, I think it's UK actually. UK house uh, voice tone. Right. And you know that speech. He gave in Chicago. I think mm. it was before on the election campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's basically the speech where it's like, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you can make it mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are not a collection of red states and blue states. We are the United yeah. States. And it's that speech with like pump and dance music. And it is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it'll get you. It'll, like, if you're going running, yeah. you know, like, it'll. You'll get injured. You'll run too fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad back because of that yeah. song. I get yeah. to, like it just gets you too yeah. carried away. But it's 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 awe inspiring. How, like. how long ago does that feel oh, that's that he was that ago, he was yeah. in? Like it felt like the world. It, I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I I reflect on that time and think how because one of the things I dislike at, at the moment about modern politics is like how smug people are in their opinions and how yeah. certain they are. And obviously we were a lot younger, but I the level of surety and just blinkered confidence I feel like the left and centre left had oh, during gosh. that period. Like nothing's ever going to go backwards. I like, remember all the all the rhetoric when I was living in America. I remember all the rhetoric around like Republicans may never get back in. They may, <laughs> they may never get back in because of changing demographics and there's you know, fewer white voters, etc. As if like the only people who ever value fiscal conservatism you know, are older and you know, not particularly welcoming to new Americans. And it, I, I think it's, it's a salutary lesson, I think, 
we've lived through an interesting little curve. Not, a, not maybe not a significant one, but it's an interesting little curve. Maybe. Yeah, I t- look, and I look back in uh, that 2008. Um, I was very excited. Yeah, same. And I genuinely believed there was a lot of positive change coming. And now I look back and I think I was naive as anything because the older people around me didn't weren't optimistic yeah. or hopeful at that time. Like it was all young, and it just just kind of. Yeah, it just shows things are very hard. It's very hard to change things. Yeah. I remember Clinton and Clinton and Blair. Yeah. Like, the excitement then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, everything seems incredible then. Until you until they get in. And it's like, uh, you can go back to, like, Kennedy, can't you? And be like, until they get in and they realize, A, they are not the ones in charge, really. Yeah. Like, whether it's Br- any any Western democracy. No, no one I, person I, in charge. Well, I, I do feel that... Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I I was what age was I? 90, was ninety seven? Ninety seven. Blair got in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the player got in in ninety seven. What age was I in ninety seven? I was fifteen. Mm. And yeah, I think the ten years Blair was in, I felt he he changed loads. Mm. I felt the country completely changed. Like, you know, the, the well, peace came to Northern Ireland, which seemed unimaginable. What's the narrative in Northern, in Ireland about that? Do they do they credit sort of Blair Clinton as being a big part of yeah, that? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah um um well, George Mitchell was Clinton. Clinton sent someone like Clinton has a plays a big part in it because America yeah. got fully involved. Yeah. George Mitchell was sent over. Um there's a lot of different people involved in it. Uh so John Hume is considered a big mm. part of it in Ireland. He was he he was um you know a Republican politician but he wasn't part of the IRA but he did go and speak. Mm. He's the first kind of respectable politician who went and spoke to the IRA. Mm. Uh then Albert Rounds John Major yeah. kind of kicked it off. Charlie Hi everyone kind of is is given a bit Bertie O'Hearn but I suppose Bertie Blair they're, 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 like they're still right about it in Irish papers now like mm. they're still kind of going who really yeah. did it? But like, you have to say Clinton had a big, yeah, big big Cause role wonder, in it. Because Clinton's image obviously was tarnished by the Lewinsky, yeah, obviously in the impeachments. And I always wonder what if if Iraq hadn't happened, mm. I wonder what Tony Blair's what would have brought him down. What would have tarnished well, his reputation? Well, well, obviously, I think the, the the Iraq War changed Tony Blair's legacy. Oh yeah, 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 hundred percent. Obviously, yeah. And he went from being this, like you say, a lot of interesting things happened under his watch, and uh, Peace Northern Ireland was one of them. Funding of education tripled, um, provision for working families. Like, there was a lot of interesting things that that government did. Some less good things, like um, taking regulation off the city to pay for a lot of it. <laughs> um, but they were following the Clinton model. Yeah, of, the, of, the third way. The third way, exactly. <laughs> yeah, third way into more debt. <laughs> it's like that meme of like straight ahead is financial security, hard right towards pl- political expediency. <laughs> um, but if Iraq hadn't happened, I wonder if he'd be, he'd be remembered as like one of the better, you know, a real I, I, high... He'd be remembered as one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be remembered as one of the best. Uh, I know... Um, I spoke to a woman once who who was retired who who worked in Downing Street in mm. the office, um, and had worked for all different leaders, you yeah. know. But she had been there when Tony Blair was there, and she said they all loved Tony Blair, and and she said he was unbelievable in that you know he would go through the office, 
He would know everybody's name. Mm. You know, he'd talk to you, how you, Tom? You know, anything you told him about your family, he'd remember. So the next time, you know, if you said, oh, my dad's birthday is tonight, and the next time he'd meet you, go, oh, how was the birthday and all that? Mm. And and they said, like, he was incredible, like, yeah. in, in, in with those social skills and everything. And she said they all loved him onto the rack. Yeah. Like, after that, you know, the, the warmth to him did, did, did drain mm. away. Because I think that is the truth about British, I think British leaders in particular. Do you, have, do, you, do you have a term limit in Ireland? For? For the Premier? No, not really. No. No, no, no you can be, no, no one's ever been, uh, the first guy, Eamon de Valera, he, he, he was a long time. He might have been 15 years, because he was yeah. like such a national hero for yeah. winning the War of Independence and that. Um, no, there's no real, you can go on. Because I think it's interesting in Western countries where you don't have a term limit. Yeah. Because you basically do, you write, it's like that quote in, the, the, in Batman, isn't it? Like you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. No one's ever really gone out of British politics. It doesn't feel like well, it's, in a good... Churchill says all politics ends in failure. Like Yeah. And it does because it, and it, you lose. There's no... Unless you, re- unless like it, you retire, yeah. like, and no one... No one gives Everyone's it up. Stro- like, it's so hard to give it up. Of course it, it is, because you feel like if, so if Blair was on like an American system, got in 97, he'd have been out before the Iraq war. Yeah. And then you wonder, like, that eight-year chunk, what he would have been... Oh, it would have been considered very good. ...remembered yeah. for. I, I suppose the the politicians, and they, they all they all do it. Blair said he was going to, you know, and he kept pushing it back. Mm-hmm. Charlie Hawley in Ireland kept saying he was going to retire, and he kept pushing it back. But I suppose it's like, it's like someone saying they're going to give up drinking, you know? Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, definitely. Now I'll give it up in January. You yeah, know, and it's just it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's too intoxicating. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Gordon, I remember feeling even before I started doing comedy, I remember feeling really sorry for Gordon Brown because he just looks. If, if you, if Spitting Image was going to design a politician <laughs> to sit in a chair, <laughs> it's like he looks like he's made out of clay. Yeah, and has the personality of someone who's made out of clay. I remember every time he tried to smile, especially coming off that Tony Blair thing of, like you said, he had all these amazing soft skills that endeared into people. And it was good and bad at that. Like, they were amazing at manipulating the media, but then, but then they became obsessed with the media cycle. So it was good and bad. And Gordon Brown was maybe more of a straightforward policy guy. Yeah, he was a policy guy. Genius. Gordon Brown's a genius. And he would have been brilliant at policy. He'd be a brilliant politician in another age. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the media age, but like just... The, Pre-TV. Like 50s, yeah. 40s, 50s. Yeah, just... But it does... It, it, there was a guy in Ireland too, Brian Cowan, and he he tried to not engage with the media because mm. he knew he was so bad at it. Mm. That, that... Well, I, I think that's an amazing thing the Democrats are doing with Biden. I mean, it does, it does show you the level of media, like where a lot of the political allegiance is in most of the media. Outside of Fox, but you know, Fox is the biggest news network in America. But outside of Fox, because they're, they're just letting him get away with turning up once every couple of months to to do to say something to say any, yeah yeah, and in the meantime, just not saying much of anything. I mean, it's, it's pretty pretty rare to have a State of the Union during a global pandemic on the eve of what could be a very significant conflict, and for it to not say anything, like for an hour, just to not really say much. But, but you know, maybe he's like. Maybe he's right. You know, maybe it can be done because, you know, like, so Clinton Blair will say Obama, some of them really, and Trump, okay, some of them really courted to me, but they were very good at it. Very good at it. Yeah. Very good at it. So it's advantageous to them. But you know the way, like, you'd see in Hollywood and stuff like that, that there was always kind of this idea that you had to really court the media mm. to, to be mm. successful and stuff like that. But there's guys who come along. 
didn't court the media. Daniel Day-Lewis, someone like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I suppose it can be done. It's just we haven't really seen it. It's so antithetical to the last 20 years of... Yeah, of yeah. Pol- but it, yeah. But uh, I, I'm, someone will come along who just be like, yeah, don't do the media. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean? I, I think what's interesting, though, is he... Um, I would argue between Trump and Biden, they might have done more to damage the American presidency than anyone in the 20th century. I think those kind of comments are crazy. Go on. Go on. I'll, 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 give, I'll, give go my, on I'll, I'll give my argument and you can refute them. Right. So I think Trump, on the one hand, illustrated that the how much damage can be done by the way an American president talks. Even if policy doesn't change that much, yeah. you can have a huge impact on perceptions of America, how people react to one another. And I would argue he had more of an impact on how Americans treat one another than any more intellectual, thoughtful, policy-driven president maybe 50 years prior to him. And I think Biden's doing a damaging job because he's illustrating to people that in terms of getting things done and in terms of how the world is shaped, that office is not the key piece of that puzzle. The Supreme Court is more important. Senators are more important. Lobbyists are more important. That like your president can go hiding for six months and yeah, but but that's right. Like because <laughs> the, it's not a it's not a dictatorship. The president of America shouldn't be all powerful. Like no. and the Constitution is designed. It's built to, that way. To, Checks to, and balances. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I would still contend. I think prior to that, for example, Clinton, Obama, even like the Bushes, the presidency was put up as a more important part of that triumvirate of the, the judicial legislative yeah, executive. But that's bad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's good. I think it's better to be in in balance with the other two. But I still, but I still, would, I, I I can concede that point, and I think that could be very well a good outcome from it. Yeah. But between them, they might have devalued or depowered that executive branch. Now that might be a good thing, but I do think they've probably devalued it below where it was before, say, Bush's Clinton. But that'd be a good thing. Harvard. Bush was horrific. Like Bush over Junior, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he obviously there's the, the, the war, but the amount of money he spent, mm-hmm. like that he signed off for the award to those companies, Halliburton and yeah, is it Blackwater or whatever? Like Blackwater, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the um, the private private military firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and they were they were you know who so like, they didn't have to report American deaths. Yeah, so they're sending all that you know. So he he over that's too too powerful. Yeah, and he and he through Dick Cheney expanded executive powers. Oh, massively, yeah, radically, yeah, yeah massively. Yeah, because I, I didn't know that. They're like um, before Reagan, it was quite hard for a president to do anything. And then Reagan's government was a big part of like Pushing. loosening, yeah, and getting legal because a lot in the American Constitution because it's relatively new, you know, it's two hundred odd years old. There is a, a lot of legal gray area and interpretation of what a president can and can't do, and the Reagan administration helped prize apart some of that gray area. It's like, no, we can do this, and then Dick Cheney like drove a bus through it. Just went bigger. Yeah. I think they've always had the the, the president always has a, a lot of power with foreign policy isn't it that's, yeah. that's the one area that they have yeah which is why war is very appealing yeah <laughs> because only congress can declare a war so they can't be technically at war without congress but foreign policy wise where they invest where they send troops even if it's not for a war but for a peacekeeping operation or where they build up military bases etc that's all within the president's purview which is why Halliburton can get paid do you think at, at some level um human beings we just none of us have the emotional capabilities to handle power. Interesting. 
I, I think I think it depends on the size of the group. Yeah. So I think if if it's like if it's a family unit, right, or like a close, if six of you, you can have enough empathy amongst six, ten people to be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to hurt Karen. I don't want to hurt Dave. So I can be more empathetic and can take my power more seriously. I think once you get into a faceless number of people, people. it's hard to have empathy, and therefore it's just like, well, and then like power just bigs up your ego. Mm-hmm. Now. I wouldn't want my ego to be in charge of me. Like, <laughs> never mind in charge of a country. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't trust it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not It's not a nice person. Like, it's not a trustworthy, nice person. No, because it's that paradox, isn't it? You always, you ideally, the person in charge is the person you, who doesn't want power. That's who you want there to make moral, philosophical decisions. But that's not who gets there. Yeah. The person who gets there is the person who's willing to take it. Yeah, true. And sometimes smart people get there. Yeah, but it. Yeah, you can see it. It is. Oh, they can be smart, but, they, but it, why do you want it? Like, why? Yeah, yeah. It's a very. Yeah. Get the phones out and just total democracy. <laughs> get rid of this stuff. Brexit the sequel. <laughs> Brexit the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Total democracy. Obviously, there'd be a bit of teething problems at the start, well, but we have, have a few bloody coups, and then after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of total democracy, then if you today, right now, if you had a everyone can vote on their phone. We'd be, we'd be at war, wouldn't we? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that'd be a good, would that be a good outcome, you reckon? No. <laughs> Every time you bring up this total democracy thing, I'm just like, would that be a good thing? Ah, no. Like, can you imagine... If everybody in the country had their phone and it was like, will we, should we declare yeah. war on yeah, Russia? Yeah. And like, <laughs> you have Tyson Fury, <laughs> you have a couple of boxers, you have a couple of footballers and they'd be all yeah. like, let's get them. Yeah. You know, yeah, it would, Jesus, like, it'd be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Do you know, what, do you know how we could turn it to our advantage? Misinformation campaign. We tell everyone we're going to war, right? Yeah. And then all like that, I defend the nation, I defend this island, so rule Britannia. They're all Scottish. You get them down to Dover, get them into the boats, and we just ship them off. Just, you know, we'll send them to like, I don't know, Where? the Isle of Wight or something. And all those people who would but, think they can fight a war in Ukraine with a cricket bat, they can all just go live in the Isle of Wight for a little while. Think about think about their think about their actions and their attitudes. There'd be no one left, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my that's my secret plan for advancing in comedy. Just clear yeah, out, clear, just, clear everyone out. Yeah, just clear everyone out. Yeah, it's kind of too, you know. In the, in at the, it was World War Two where people were people were convinced it would be over. They'd be back in a couple of months. Yeah, like absolutely one hundred percent convinced mm. that they'd be back in a couple of months. You know, um, but it, yeah, look, I guess that whole thing. Um, History is over. Wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Was that wasn't that the one in, when the Berlin Wall came down? Yeah. Uh, would a world dominated by Russia? Uh, would there be cultural changes? What kind of, what's Russian food like? Some of it's pretty good. I mean, caviar's yeah. pretty good. Caviar, yeah. Um, borscht, good. It's like they do really good fish, like smoked fish and stuff. White fish. It's quite similar to I guess a lot of like Jewish food. You get like a lot of that really nice stuff like that. The, the Israeli Prime Minister's gone over to talk to Putin. Has he? Yeah, yeah. He he has um he has said he would mediate 
between, really? between the two countries. Kind of sort of wondering, why is he What's your game? Yeah, yeah, but I suppose to, to, there's Jewish people, a lot of Jewish people in Ukraine yeah, and Russia. of course. And, uh, but it just seems a bit funny, like... Um, but this is, I think it's that power thing, you know. I think yeah. it's like there's a vacuum. Like, America doesn't want to step in because it's too big a deal. Britain's kind of the same boat. Big European... France is going through an election. And it, he's probably like, well, I don't know, I can get some uh, mileage out of this. Get some shine, get some global notoriety. Yeah. Offering to mediate. Offering to mediate. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah? It's a very interesting angle. He, he, he didn't announce that he was going there. Mm. He went over, he had a two-and-a-half-hour two hour meeting, one-on-one one with Putin, and then he, he announced it afterwards. So no one knew he was going. Is there, are there any like, natural resource links between those places? I mean, it, I, mean I know Israel all, is always trying to forge alliances because obviously geopolitically, historically, they're in a very vulnerable position. position. Yeah, yeah. So they're always trying to forge alliances where they can to secure resources or aid. Because I know, like, for example, um, for the Iraq war, um, the reason Australians have a really favorable visa relationship with America is because Paul Rudd, the prime minister of Australia at the time, was like, yes, we'll send some troops if you make it easier for businesses to trade with America and for Australian citizens to live there. Yeah. And he was like, done. So you wonder if there's, if there's something that these really... Do, like, so countries have interests in mix. Kenya and... I hope I'm getting this right. Kenya and Israel get on really well. Right. Because there was a plane hijacked once and the Mosat, the Israeli Secret Service, mm. stormed it. But Kenya, it was in Nairobi airport. Right. And the Kenyan authorities let them. And after that, Israel was like, cheers. Good on you. Cheers, yeah. lads. And, yeah. and gave them a bit of money and helped them out with a bit of aid. And like seemingly, you know, at UN meetings and stuff, they always get on. So there's all countries who have little... Strange little relationships. Link up. Yeah, yeah. That can be, you know, from an, an obscure event, mm -hmm. but it has bonded them together for, yeah. from, the, from that time on, you know? I, w I wonder if... Um I just wonder if there's any scenario, because the, the West has got to give Putin a way out of this. And I wonder if he needs to, because you're, you're a big Napoleon guy. Yeah. I wonder if he needs to, not as in because he's short and, and <laughs> uh, has ideas to conquer most of Europe, but um, the, the, Napoleon was given an exit. He was given an exile. He was given yeah. a gentle way out so they didn't have to become like a caged animal trying to fight for his life. What is what is that plan? We'll give you a beta. <laughs> <laughs> you already we'll give you a beta. You can bring the girls over, sing the song. <laughs> I want a man like Putin. <laughs> oh my god, that's a good place to end. Yeah, very yeah. good. That's been another episode of Tom and Jack having the crack. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Oh. It's a lot harder when you're all over. Do you want to correct you, but Boris is actually Ukrainian. Oh. oh, there you go. You should jump in, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if, yeah if you I want really to. want to, but yeah, I just felt a bit. Yeah. yeah, I should have said that.